everything's recording and technology is not cooperating. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the Great Crusade, toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. The knowledge I'm about to drop on y'all is worth all the uh, technical difficulties. And if you're watching on the video screen, the bright white light that is probably distracting you behind my head. Welcome to Americana, the American way. My name is Big John. You can find me on Parlor at The Real Big John. This goes out on Rumble, all the podcast platforms. And so on and so forth. Let me see if I can get a better. There, that's a little better. Um, <clears throat> better for the video, anyways. Uh, you may hear fans or something running off in the distance because it's Ohio and it's summer, which means it's 90% humidity and about 80 degrees outside. Screw you, I want snow. But if this were June the 5th, 1944, uh, where I am sitting here in Ohio, it is uh, a wee bit past 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, if you were a young American soldier, and many, many young Americans 
uh, Americans of all ages, but uh, a lot of folks were in the military at this time. Uh, as Dwight D. Eisenhower said in that speech, soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You would be on a ship right now <clears throat> with hundreds of thousands of other men getting ready to storm the beaches at Normandy on the coast of France. Uh, there were British, Canadian, American, Australian, and other soldiers in the Allied Expeditionary Force. The speech you just heard is uh, known as Eisenhower's D-Day speech. <clears throat> Pretty simple and to the point. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower was the supreme Allied commander of the Allied forces invading France to liberate Europe from the occupation of the Nazis and to save the world. Uh, I just can't imagine, and I don't know how many of you can unless you've served in the military, being packed shoulder to shoulder on a boat and you're about to go over the side of this large troop carrier boat into a small landing craft. Uh, you were told that aerial and naval bombardments had softened up the enemy defenses. Uh, not necessarily the case. Uh, let me read a bit here from uh, it is it's called the Holocaust explained dot org and <clears throat> from my grandfather's story and from my knowledge of World War two this is an accurate description of what you would be going through about the, the night before the uh, invasion or liberation. Let's call it liberation of France and the rest of Europe. So, the HolocaustExplained.org says, by the summer of 1944, the Allies had enough coordinated strength to consider an invasion of France. This invasion became known as D-Day. <clears throat> On the evening of June 5th, so today is June 5th, 2021. On the evening of June the 5th, 1944, under cover of nightfall, British, French, American, and Canadian troops started across the English Channel, landing in Normandy. These troops were supported by paratroopers 
who dropped behind enemy lines the next morning on the 6th of June 1944 the attack began with a huge concentration of troops defending the Eastern Front and the Soviet Union that would be Nazi troops and the decoy measures implemented resistance from the Germans was initially weaker than expected Despite this, the Allied troops experienced over 10,000 losses on the first day. Uh, now look, guys. Uh, back in these days, let me get, hit a couple things here. Uh, paratroops means parachute troopers, parachute soldiers, were dropped behind the German lines. Uh, of course, there were Germans all over France and Europe, but behind the main defense lines. Uh, you didn't have Google Earth. You didn't have GPS. You di di didn't have a lot of things. The most advanced uh, technology they had, one of the most advanced things, was radar. And it could you know detect a lot of things a lot of airplanes but it wasn't the accurate radar we have today uh, and certainly you know nothing was like what we have today you, no one had a smartphone you dumbass okay nobody uh, could you know text or instant message or uh, snapchat Instagram Facebook tweet their friend and say, hey, shit, the Germans are a lot tougher than we thought they were, you know, none of that, and thank God, I mean, these were, some of these dudes were like 16, 17, 18, 20 years old, and these were manly freaking men, I mean, you know, we, we play, some of us, if you're, you know, real man like me, cigar smoking, throat hacking, gun shooting, Bible clinging, son of a gun. Uh, you may have fired a rifle. Fire a 20 pound World War II rifle that's made out of steel and wood, not composite plastics, okay? These guns were heavy as hell. And these guys were running with that and a 50-pound pack of everything they would need to survive uh, for days or weeks or whatever they thought they were going to need on their backs, okay? And they were coming into the face of heavy machine gun uh, artillery. That would be like cannons for if you don't know what artillery is. Uh <clears throat> And the Germans built up some pretty hefty defenses, okay? And they were the best military in the world at the start of World War II. Hitler's downfall, aside from being a, a psychopathic asshole, was he tried to expand and take over, conquer too much too fast, That's what crazy people do.
Um, but the allies, Winston Churchill, uh, <clears throat> Franklin Delano Roosevelt were determined they were not going to lose this war. Uh, there was another thing in here I wanted to point out. Paratroops. Alright, concentration. Decoy measures, that's what it was. Uh, in the second paragraph it says, With the huge concentration of troops defending the Eastern Front in the Soviet Union, because uh, the Russians, that's the Soviet Union, they were starting to push Hitler and his troops backwards. Uh, if you look at a map and see where Berlin is, and the Germans had made all the way through Poland, all these other countries, and were into Russia uh, in a place called, they changed the name of it from time to time. It's either Stalingrad or Leningrad. But I think at the time it was called Stalingrad after Joseph Stalin. <clears throat> At least that's what it's called in all the World War II shows I watch. They were almost to Moscow, and the Russians finally hunkered down, and there was a severe Russian winter that year, and that stalled the Germans and actually caused them to have to retreat some. So, with Hitler being stupid and an asshole, did I point out that he's an asshole? Uh, moving on the Russians repelled them some of Hitler's troops were tied up with the Russians but there was a, a massive deception campaign uh, they took a, a dead body shouldn't laugh but this is freaking this is like genius um They planted <coughs> documents on this body in a briefcase and shot it out of a torpedo hole in a submarine so it would wash up on the uh, coast where the Nazis were. And it had plans for an attack in a very different location than what the Allies were planning on attacking. <coughs> this weather is wreaking havoc with my sinuses. I promise you it's not my beloved cigar. Um, so, they built, they had Hollywood, back before it was Holly Weird, and actors were actually patriotic instead of POS. They made prop tanks, uh, airplanes. Some of them were like inflatable. Some of them were just cardboard and wood. Uh, and they made, they set up you know, hundreds or thousands of these. 
in places they knew the German uh, reconnaissance planes would fly over to make the Germans think that they're amassing all these troops and tanks in this location. Okay, they even had like uh, mannequin soldiers, I think. Uh, it's just amazing. And the secrecy around this, this is why I say it's good that, you know, we didn't have Twitter and Facebox and all these sniveling little sneaks. Um, <clears throat> you know, there were spies on all sides, but it was very, very different back then. Uh, and secrecy was of the utmost. So we were able to trick the Germans into, you know, keeping their Panzer tanks back, which were like the best tanks out there. If those Panzers would have made it up to the uh, shoreline, the Americans would have been driven back into the ocean. But instead, nobody would wake, nobody wanted to wake Hitler from his seepy, because he's not a morning person, asshole. Uh, <clears throat> and he was the only one that was allowed to order the Panzers. He took, he took so much control and micromanaged so much. Um, <clears throat> and so, we caught a few breaks. But really, it was just the flat-out bravery of these young men that said, we have to defend liberty and freedom at all costs. And were willing to sacrifice their lives. I mean, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night right now. Four, 1944. And you've been told your mission for the next day, your lieutenant or whatever, yeah, lieutenant, has the orders of what bridge you're supposed to secure, what village you're supposed to liberate, what uh, cannons or artillery you're supposed to destroy so that the next wave of troops can make it ashore, uh, and really it was a very vicious battle. Uh, we lost 10,000, and most of those were within the first few waves of troops coming off the ships. Uh, they had these landing crafts, which were an ingenious invention for their time. They looked, I mean, they looked very simplistic, but there was for there was nothing before World War II. Before the idea for this invasion came, there was nothing like these landing craft in our arsenal. I mean, it's basically a, a, a barge that can hold, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 guys. I don't know, not very many, probably less than 50. And the front of it flops open and a ramp comes down and you run out and you get gunned down by German machine gun fire. Or if you're really unlucky, your uh, boat gets hit by artillery fire and explodes. So, <clears throat> some guys made it ashore. They started making it 
their way around the German defenses, outflanking them, because the Germans were set up in these pillboxes, and my hands, if you're watching on video, do not do, I don't even know why I'm trying to make a pillbox with my hands, but they had uh, s slots cut in them, big slots where the machine guns could spray out onto the beach. And these were real machine guns. These aren't the AR-15s and AR-10s that the panty-waist liberals want to outlaw now. I mean, these were firing bullets that would rip a human in half. Okay. <clears throat> the guns that you're used to seeing are nothing compared to an actual military machine gun. All right. Um, this is why I, I get touchy and sensitive when uh, people that don't know any better call an AR-15 or an M-16 or uh, an AR-10 or an Uzi or a Mac-10 or any of your small caliber rifles or automatic weapons, semi-automatic weapons, machine guns. A, a real machine gun takes multiple men to operate, usually. There's <clears throat> the guy that pulls the trigger, there's the guy that feeds the belt of bullets, uh, some machine gun crews were three-man crews. Let me say that again without a cigar in my face. Some machine gun crews were three-man crews at this time, a three-man team. Okay? That is not the thing that's called an assault rifle. Okay? That's not an AR-10 or AR-15. This is a heavy caliber weapon firing a very large bullet. Okay. And this is what our soldiers were being hit with. And the soldiers that came behind them knew they might be hit with that too. But they kept pressing forward so you and I can dishonor them and dis by disrespecting this nation they helped build. <clears throat> and frankly... The world that they saved. Let me tell you something. If things, some things had gone differently, had God not been on our side, because the Nazis were in a cult, predominantly the French, British, American, and Canadian forces were Christians or Catholics, uh, <clears throat> and Jewish. Um, of course, we all found out after the uh, after the German army liberated Auschwitz. I hope I'm, I hope I have that right. After the uh, Russian army liberated the first uh, prison or death camp, prison camp, uh, we found out what the Nazis were doing to the Jews and other people. Uh, they, 11 million people 
they say were incinerated. Six million of those were Jewish. <clears throat> and the Holocaust is fucking real. Okay? I'm going to tell the story tomorrow about my pap. But let me start to wind this down with this. Um, a couple of weeks before he passed away, he had uh, a metal... It might have been like an ammo box or some kind of box that he carried with him, but it was it was metal. It wasn't, you know, a shoe box or something. Uh, and it was military issue. It was green, and nobody was allowed to look in that except me. Two weeks before he died, he asked me to bring that box to him, and we went through it together. And he told me, you know, his his biggest secrets and what he did in World War II. Uh, and he showed me the pictures of the piles of bodies. So I saw the... the try not to get upset. I saw the stacks of dead Jewish bodies that he saw with his own eyes. I saw the pictures. He saw it in person. And here he was, 20 years old, 21, 22. When I was, when I was in that age range, I was drinking hard. I was having fun. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with fun, but he was out saving the world. And uh, hundreds of thousands, millions, I don't know the exact number that served in World War II. <clears throat> but so many other young men like him desired freedom. They were in fear of living in tyranny. And they called them the greatest generation because they were toughened, they were hardened by the Great Depression, the famines, the dust bowls of the uh, 1930s. And I think, you know, maybe God put that depression on to toughen these guys up. To make them a little stronger men. To make them a little tougher, a little street smarter, a little more survival smart, wiser, you know, survivalist. Just make them tougher inside. And here we sit disrespecting them today by talking down this station, by burning flags, by burning cities to the ground in the name of freedom of speech, name of, in the name of freedom of assembly. We couldn't assemble at our churches after God willed these men to overcome Hitler, who may have been one of the Antichrists. Remember, the Bible says there's going to be three. A lot of people think Hitler was one. The, the second one. Um, not going to get into all that. But, 
after God led these men to victory. Let me tell you something else, too. Instead of just pissing in my Cheerios over Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter and some of these terrorist organizations in America, when this invasion began, President Roosevelt went on the radio and asked everyone in America to stop what they were doing and to pray for those men to win that battle and overcome that beachhead that the Germans had built up. Could you imagine a president doing that today? I could. I, I could imagine a couple doing it. Not this one we got now. Not Barack Obama. Because they would have to... They couldn't just say, you know, God Almighty who sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us. The God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham save our soldiers and save our world from this evil satanic cult known as the Nazis. That's not exactly what FDR said either. But now it would have to be like, uh, God, Buddha, Allah, Ali Akbar, Joseph Smith, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, you know, we want to, uh, whatever God you believe in, or if you don't believe in any God, uh, the stars, the universe, the moons, uh, please help our soldiers to maybe overcome, nah, man, FDR went and prayed to, God, prayed to the God of Jesus Christ, different times, different things, but man, I just, man, just try to picture myself in that boat, getting ready to get on that Higgins landing craft, and knowing you're going against the, the best, the Nazis had the best of everything except a sane leader. Uh, the best army the world had up to that point, and so much innovation, and so much uh, technology had to be invented because the United States military was still on World War I technology. Uh, and man, these kids, they, I'm 44 going on 45 in a couple months. I'm like, man, yeah, I'd go out there and fight and die for my country. I, I almost joined the Marines at 18 and I well, I had a few problems. Being fat was one. Not being able to swim was another. Uh, but man, just um, I could can't imagine putting yourself in that that situation. And a lot of these men are in their 90s, pushing a hundred now. So many of them have died off. Uh, and we're rewriting the history books and diminishing what they did to save the world. A lot of us would not be alive had they not liberated Europe. Had they failed that morning, June 6th, we would not be here. They would not have, even if they lived through the landing and were captured, 
the Germans would have put them in those incinerators. The Japanese were just as brutal on the other side. But anyways, guys, God bless you all. I just wanted to talk a little about the meaning of tomorrow, D-Day, the 6th of June. Uh, and I'm going to do another, another piece tomorrow, too. So... With that, God bless y'all. Pray for one another. Thank y'all for uh, listening to me for a half of an hour. Maybe if I can get my phone to work, I'll play you. There we go. Here's Ike again. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Amen.